0: Well, hello there. Welcome back. I know you are going to love today's episode because there are so many fascinating things in it and so many times that I was like jaw dropped. I did not know that. So I am so excited for you to listen today. I know that we all know we need sleep, but it still often gets put on the back burner. So I love today how Dr. Meredith Broderick really breaks this down, gives examples of why it's important in very many different aspects of life and just so much science behind it and just great ideas of how to make it happen that I actually had never heard before. So I'm super excited for you to hear her. Meredith is a neurologist specializing in sleep medicine and behavioral sleep medicine. She's one of the only physicians in the country to hold this trifecta combination of board certifications, which is amazing. Her career includes academics, private practices, urban and underserved areas that she also works with. She has spent most of her career practicing in the Puget Sound region, and in 2021, she started Sound Sleep Guru, which is a holistic boutique sleep medicine practice. Located in Bellevue, Washington, which is so cool. And they do telehealth as well regarding Washington, California, and Alaska. So she is very well qualified to talk to us about sleep today. And I am so excited for you to hear her and get more information on how to improve your sleep and kind of get to know yourself better through some of the stuff she talks about. And today's show sponsor is Talkspace. Let me first say that any sponsor you hear on my show, I can promise you. No, I can guarantee you that I stand behind that company 1,010%. And that is how strongly I feel about Talkspace. I love their mission. I love what they're doing. And I think it's really needed today. If you need some support through the end of the year, or if you just want to rebuild towards a better upcoming year, Talkspace is online therapy that can help. There are thousands of licensed therapists available across tons of different specialties, including anxiety, depression relationships and more match with a licensed therapist today at talkspace.com and you get $100 off your first month with the promo code make it simple it's just all one word make it simple that's $100 off if you use the code make it simple at talkspace.com honestly don't be scared to reach out because it can make a huge difference Coming from experience, therapy helps. So Talkspace.com, make it simple, go for it. My name's Andrea Allen, and I am a mother of four girls under seven, a wifey to a mountain man, a personal trainer, and a nutrition coach. I love all things women's health and fitness, but let's face it, the fitness industry is complicated, and it's not built for the everyday mom. There's so much conflicting information, and you're busy, and you don't have time to figure it out. I hate feeling confused and overwhelmed, so I have made it my mission to simplify health and fitness while creating a welcoming, realistic, and empowering home for like-minded women. I'm happy you're here, and I hope you stay a while. Hey, Meredith, how are you? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you so much for being on today. I'm not going to lie. I a little bit stalked you online. (laughs) I found you on social media and I like went through so many posts and I was like, I love this woman. I have to have her on the podcast. Aw, thank you so much. So I'm so glad you're here. Can you tell us, I know that my listeners don't really know you, so can you tell us a little bit about you, your background, how you got into being you know, a sleep expert and a doctor on that?
1: Sure thing. I am a medical doctor. I trained as a neurologist. And as a subspecialty of neurology, I did additional training in sleep medicine and then also behavioral sleep medicine. And I've worked you know in academics and private practice in cities and in rural areas and now i have my own practice in the seattle washington area but i also do telehealth in california and alaska but my main Thing is, just seeing patients and helping them with their sleep issues. I love that. How long have you been doing this for again? I finished my training in 2008. So I guess that's, you know, like 12, 13 years.
0: That's amazing. So, what are the most common issues that you see among mothers when it comes to like having a hard time sleeping? And before we even get into this, I know some women are going to say, well, duh, there's some common sense things, you know, but I want to hear from your perspective like, what are common things that you see? that are issues especially for females.
1: Women are very unique and we know that if we look, you know, at epidemiology and study differences in sleep problems between males and females that it's pretty much the same until puberty. And so at that time women or female people tend to have more sleep problems. And so there's something we think about hormones that contribute To these sleep problems. Women also, interestingly enough, they need more, we need more sleep than men do. So, um, you know, I think just in general, there's more sleep problems. Commonly, that's going to be insomnia as a general term, with the cause of insomnia being different things. And the nature of those things really evolves, you know, because of course there's pregnancy and then there's, um, you know, before pregnancy, there's you know, PMS and having before the period, there's difficulty sleeping. And then um, during pregnancy, there are unique problems. Wait, let me get this right. You're saying even it starts at puberty. And even when we
0: have our periods during the different parts of the cycle, we sleep worse.
1: Yeah. During the luteal phase. And usually women will report a little bit worse sleep, right? You know, before the period starts. And particularly if you have PMS or People who have premenstrual dysphoric disorder and that in and of itself may be a sign of something something else going on um, that is the reason why there's problems sleeping. So yeah, it happens even before we have kids.
0: And then obviously it perpetuates with pregnancy and postpartum. And then I would assume
1: if it's hormonally linked, it would be during menopause and it just would keep going from there. Yeah, it keeps going and also you know, as women, we're also aging and subjected to all the other things that contribute to sleep problems. So like sleep apnea is something that increases with age. And so, yeah, it's just, it's kind of over a lifetime, we have a much higher risk of developing insomnia as one of the most common sleep disorders.
0: I know that you know that with a lack of sleep, a lot of times it creates a lot of issues that sometimes we don't think about not just being tired. I know it can create weight gain or it can create other issues. Can you tell us about some of those things? Like how does it affect weight or what other factors, you know, really play a role? If we're not sleeping, how is it going to affect our health?
1: Yeah, it's a really complex relationship, but it's been very well described. I think we know that what the relationship is, but what the mechanism of it is, we're still working out. So there's a couple of things we do know. There's a relationship between two hormones called leptin and ghrelin which you may have heard of. They regulate things like energy balance, food intake, appetite and, you know, being hungry. And it turns out that when you don't get enough sleep, these hormones become imbalanced. And it's not like there's we need to get more or less. It's actually that we develop a resistance to these hormones. So we need leptin to tell us we're full and suppress our food intake, but you know, people who are overweight, they have really high levels, almost as if their body just isn't responsive to it anymore. There's also insulin resistance that happens as well when we don't sleep. So I don't know if you've ever worn a continuous glucose monitor, but even if you're not diabetic, even if you're not pre-diabetic, if you wear a monitor like that, you'll notice when you don't get as much sleep, your glucose will spike more and just the average level will be higher. And that can be connected with gaining weight. I had heard that and I'd heard
0: a study they did where they had, they made clients or not clients, um, participants be sleep deprived and they had them do a glucose monitor and then they monitored what they ate and it increased, but they thought it was partly because they're so tired, but it's like a shot to the brain of the glucose that made them feel good. So that's part of why they ate more because they were, they were lacking you know, from being tired that it like gave that same shot, which is partly why they ate more. Is that kind of correct?
1: Yeah. And it's one of those things that it's so you know, it it is kind of a chicken and the egg thing where one thing kind of perpetuates the next. But we also just need to sleep in order to feel good and to perform well and to learn. And so you know, if you are working out, you know, trying to develop a technique for something like you're not going to do it as well if you're not getting adequate sleep.
0: How else can it affect us besides weight for our health? Have you seen it linked to any other medical issues
1: or things that arise? Definitely. I mean, I think some of the things that are really important, because I mean, let's face it, we're all not like immediately worried about, you know, dying of a heart attack today. But like, it affects our relationships, you know, when we don't sleep well, we're irritable we're probably not that fun and engaging to be around. There are a lot of studies around that showing that, you know, people are less fun to be around or enjoyable and are not in a good mood when they don't get enough sleep. And that can affect your relationship with your spouse, it can affect your relationship with your children, you're not, you're not, you know, paying attention and aware because sleep is like, it's like having therapy, it helps us regulate all our emotions as well. It's
0: very true. When I don't sleep, I can definitely say I'm not always a friendly human the (laughs) next day. I mean, my husband is totally going to disagree with me. (laughs) All right. So I know, you know, speaking up for like the nursing mom, the mom with a toddler, sometimes we hear, yeah, you need more sleep. And, you know, I know when people said that to me when I was nursing or even now with a toddler who sometimes wakes up in the night a lot, like I, my youngest, um, she often comes down in the night and it's, different for me because my older three did not they they didn't do that they slept in their beds and you know we did sleep training and it worked really well but for some reason the youngest that I have throws you for a loop and does whatever she wants Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so like what tips could you give for those moms because I know that it's so discouraging when you're nursing and you're like I have to be up to feed my baby or it's so discouraging when you have a toddler that isn't sleeping consistently how could we you know, help the mom and how can we, um, what tips could you give to help the child too.
1: I think number one is you have to have a plan for how to handle that situation. Because often I think what happens is we develop this conditioned response where we almost feel anxious about it before it even happens. That's very true.
0: That's <laughs> yeah, very true. Right? I remember
1: when I was nursing before I would even
0: like, it would be like eight o'clock and I, my anxiety would go through the reef because I'm like, okay, know I'm going to wake up four times in the night to feed the baby. And before I even knew it, my, Night. <laughs> Anxiety was out of control at like 7pm.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. So if you have a plan, and you're like, okay, this is how I'm going to handle this. And I'm just going to be very businesslike about it. And I'm not going to get emotional, because that often is what makes things spiral out of control, right? Like you get upset, yeah. then your kid gets upset. And then it becomes this whole thing, it like develops this whole life of its own. But I think having a plan and just executing the plan and just being very, you know, regimented about it. And then I think if, if you're really struggling and you can't like, you've noticed that that cycles developed, like, you know, it helps to get, get help from a sleep coach or a, you know, one of I don't know who you worked with before, but they can be really helpful to kind of be objective about things and let you know where you might be going off track. I think patience is the magic ingredient almost for and I'm talking about like, if the kid doesn't have like a medical issue or something, it's really just behavioral, like, I'll be sitting there in the bathroom with my child while she's going to the bathroom, you know, (laughs) waiting for her to go to bed, she's going to the bathroom for the third time. And I just think to myself, Oh my God, she's never going to go to sleep. And I'm like, you know, that is a distorted thought. She is going to, and she always does. So just stop, you know, like that's not a helpful thought. She's going to go. And the more helpful thing to say is like, this is really painful. This is taking all of my patience, but that's what love is, you know? And I'm going to sit here and I'm just going to be patient. And I know she's going to go, but it's going to be inconvenient. It's going to be half an hour later than I wanted. That
0: makes sense. And it is about a mind shift where, you can't really change the situation that she's struggling in. She's not going to sleep, but you can change the way you're viewing it, which will help positivity. We know helps our health in general when we think of things positively.
1: Exactly. And it changes your response to the situation, right? Which helps facilitate getting things going in the direction you want.
0: So I didn't realize you could get sleep coaches for like helping toddlers. So if you have a mom that comes in and she's like, my toddler will not stay in bed. She comes down two or three times a night. What do you tell her like what are some general things you help her like go in the right direction
1: starting at the very basics. It's just really kind of like the interactions. What you want to do is just address the child's needs. If the child says I have to go to the bathroom, for example, you take them to the bathroom, there's not a lot of positive feedback for the behavior or negative, it's just very businesslike. And I'm just gonna, if they have to go to the bathroom, if they have a wet diaper, and then you fix it, and then you just walk them back and you say good night, and you just keep repeating that, you know, over and over again until they stay and you just kind of have to keep doing it and
0: what about the mom afterwards who like can't fall asleep like they wake up like you said and they think through what's going to happen so a child wakes up they won't go back to bed they do finally go back to bed and then the mom's like oh no he or she's going to wake up again and then there's the mom sitting wide-eyed in her bed yeah (laughs) what advice would you give to the mom to help her Calm herself. what would be the best tips for that?
1: So I, I'd say I would go two different directions with this, depending on the situation, you know, and I'm gonna just make this black and white. And it's not black and white. But for the sake of this discussion, like there's the situation where this is just a manifestation of a really problematic anxiety problem. And that should be looked at perhaps more comprehensively than what I'm going to say for the other situation, which is where it really is just anxiety about this particular situation. But there are some different strategies for this. And I I would maybe choose this depending on the person and getting to know them better. But one very simple thing to do would be just to have the person during the day, write down some of the thoughts that they have during that time. So to bring some awareness, like what are the thoughts that happen? So for me, I can say like, I will think to myself, Oh, my gosh, she's never gonna fall asleep. This is never gonna end. And I'll notice about that, that is actually not true. We call it a cognitive distortion. It's, you know, it's an exaggeration. And so as I tell myself, like, that's not helpful, that's making you feel more anxious, reframe it to, you know, she always does go, it's just not always when you want her to. And so when you can feel, like not be so emotional about it and be more objective about it, then you don't have as much anxiety. But you kind of have to retrain yourself to, to notice these distorted thoughts and like reframe them.
0: Uh, I like that you're saying do it during the day when you're not like think through those thoughts during the day and kind of plan out like, is this really true? Or is this, you know, my cognitive thoughts of it that are incorrect, where it's distorted. And then you can kind of work through it during the day so that at night when it comes up again, you've already thought that through. So it's easier to probably calm yourself and fall back asleep. That makes sense. I've never thought of doing it during the day.
1: Yeah, because we're you know we're a better friend to ourselves at that time when it, when we're not in, very true. <laughs> you know when we're not in the moment, and that's another way to sort of frame it for yourself is like, well, what would you tell your friend? Yeah, you know what advice would you give them? And it's really important to write it down. Like the act of writing it down helps make those neuro pathways develop, so that when those things happen, you just can be more chill about it, and being more chill about it kind of helps facilitate the process. Now, it's not always that easy, but sometimes that's all it takes. You know, it can, be, it can be exhausting. It can be night after night doing that over and over and over again, but it's just, you know, it will pass.
0: And I think we do have to remember that even as, you know, when you're nursing or when you have a toddler, that it does pass. I shared something that happened earlier this week on social media and someone wrote me and said, you know, don't worry. She won't show up at the altar with a pacifier and a diaper. Like it's, <laughs> it's going to be okay. And I think we do get so caught up in our thoughts. And you're right. We dig a tunnel in the problem when if we just were better at, you know, keeping it positive, it would be easier for us to relax afterwards and sleep in between if we weren't anxious about the next awake time, I guess you could call it. Yeah. So what about people... Like, I kind of want to get into signs that there is. I mean, besides, like, you know, a mom who's nursing and, you know, someone with a toddler, what are some signs that people might honestly have a sleep disorder? Like, what are some signs and symptoms of, let's talk about insomnia and then let's get into some of the other ones. How could we tell? Because I think sometimes we assume, oh, I'm just a really bad sleeper. And I'm like, no, sometimes there's something going on. So, how could people tell if maybe it's more than just, that you're just not a great sleeper. Maybe there really is something there.
1: I think, you know, number one, if it's impacting your daily functioning. So if you avoid social commitments or engaging in things that you enjoy because of the sleep problem, I think that's something that needs medical attention. I also think if you think about sleep and you just feel anxious, sleep should, shouldn't have a negative connotation. Like if it bothers you, it's something that provides anxiety just to think about. That's that's a sign, you know, that something is going on that needs to be retrained.
0: Now, that makes sense because you're like sleep is positive, you know, and if, if you're not thinking positively about it, that means something's going on possibly.
1: Yeah, it should be a restorative time. It should, you know, restore you. And so if it, you know, that's true for insomnia or sleep apnea, which are two of the most common sleep disorders that I see. People with sleep apnea will say when I sleep, I don't feel refreshed. I feel worse. You know, that's Kids sometimes say that when they have sleep apnea, they say, I feel when I, you know, when I go to sleep, it hurts when I wake up. What are some ways that you could tell for sleep apnea then just like, they just don't feel refreshed? Yeah. Daytime sleepiness is a big one for sleep apnea. Also, you know, a spouse or a bed partner might tell the person that they snore. Although people are not always aware that they snore. If I, a lot of times when I ask people, do you snore? They say No. But, you know, if you continue to ask them questions, finally, they'll say they do. Well, but it's only when I'm had a drink or it's once in a while. But, you know, so there's this subjective nature. But if people definitively know they snore, that's, that's something that tells you for sure they have airway resistance. Um, and I think just my sleep is not refreshing. I wake up with a headache. Um, I can't keep my eyes open in meetings. I'm getting drowsy driving home. You know, those are some common things that are worrisome. For insomnia, are there like any other
0: like telltale signs? Like a lot of times they'll say, well, I just can't go to bed at night. But then sometimes I think, is it habit? Are we, Do we have bad habits like looking at our phones or watching TV, you know, and then saying we can't fall asleep? Or is there something else that they're possibly missing? Like, is there a routine that you would suggest if someone says, I can't tell if I have insomnia or if I'm just a bad sleeper? Are there tips that you would suggest to help them be able to tell the difference to change their
1: nighttime routine? Or does their nighttime routine help people? Yeah, I mean, I think of like sleep hygiene, for example, that we've all heard of don't watch TV in bed, those rules of sleep hygiene as being like the framework that you're going to build healthy sleep on. So what I say is just a general rule is like, if you go to bed, fall asleep easily, sleep through the night with minimal interruption and you wake up feeling refreshed. You're good to go. But if yeah. you're struggling in one of those areas then you know there's definitely cause for concern. Now insomnia, you're right. I think what you're getting at is that insomnia can be caused by different things. So that's yeah. Chronic insomnia, we call it in the medical field really refers to where people have developed what we call conditioned arousal, meaning that they've experienced the insomnia so many times that, that it's conditioned just like Pavlov's dog where you hear the bell and they sell, you know, the dog salivates, Ah. the person thinks about sleep and they feel anxious. So it's this conditioned behavior that's developed and it's a matter of deconditioning that. Whereas Sometimes people can have insomnia because they have sleep apnea or they might have it because their circadian chronotype is of a night owl and they're trying to go to bed at nine o'clock and get up at five for work, but their internal rhythm wants them to be later. So there's different causes for insomnia, but. And the treatment would be different depending on what the cause is.
0: Okay. So let's talk about the circadian chronotype. I haven't heard of those before. Are there ideal times for if we're all slightly different, are there different phases that are different for different people to sleep and when would be ideal for us?
1: Yeah. So chronotype is a genetic trait. Most of us kind of fall into like the culturally normal day. And some of us are morning people. We call them larks and some people are night owls. And obviously there's shades of gray. If you think about it, when we were hunters and gatherers, it would make sense that not everybody would be alert at the same time, right? We want to protect our species while the other people are sleeping. So since you've always had a a night watch. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, Children, for example, teenagers tend to be night owls. We think that part of that might be because it's favorable to reproduction for these young people to be away from their parents and sit around the campfire and you know, basically do mating calls to each other, you know, yeah. And so and then as we get older, we become more lark. So we generally like shift to that. Now what we're seeing, though, with modern society, and the fact that we're, we're not really tied to the light dark cycle of the sun anymore, which is really unnatural, and probably one contributing factor to obesity as well that we didn't talk about all these clock genes, and this circadian misalignment, we call it, very, very, very tied to weight gain. But what we're seeing is that people are tending to shift to being more night owl because they're not getting like light in the morning and they're getting so much light in the evening. And we're also sleeping less because we're getting all of this light. Do you mean light
0: just from the sun or even just in our houses
1: with lights in our house or like with electronics? Like what kind of light? It's twofold. It's we're not getting like when we're inside all day on computers, that is not even close, not even the magnitude of what you would get if you're outside. We measure light intensity in a unit called Lux, which is one uh, one candle, one foot away. And so when you're outside, you're in the thousand lux range. When you're okay. inside, you're under the thousand lux range, unless you've got a light therapy box, basically. Okay. And so I'm seeing a lot, and it depends where you live. I live in Washington, and we're kind of dark up here in the winter. So But I'll see people that are pretty active and they have a really nice house with big windows and everything, but they're not getting any light during the day. And then when it's supposed to be dark out, they are getting light, not as bright as outside, but they're getting all this light in the evening from their TV and their computer and their phone. And so their circadian rhythm is being shifted later. And that's why they don't want to go to sleep at night. And then they have to wake up in the morning for work and they feel terrible.
0: Interesting. I didn't even realize we were connected with light and dark. And you said that affects obesity.
1: Yeah, it definitely does because there are these clock genes that's like 10% of our genome or something really crazy. And I don't know. I I'm not sure if that number is correct, but it's a yeah. it's a big number. It regulates all of our cellular functions, all of our organs, and we're just not connected to the light, dark cycle of the sun. And that's how we evolved. That's how we're meant to operate. So how do we, I guess, how do we fix that? If you're
0: saying we have a chronotype, some of us know naturally are night owls. Some of us are naturally morning people. The younger people seem to be more night owls. And that might just be because that's just the way it's always been, you know, from our genes, as you said. So how do we adjust that? Do we just change our lighting in our house? Do we maybe change our sleep cycles? Like, what do you suggest for people?
1: I suggest that people look at all of the above, you know, I mean, I've had people who have changed careers because of it. I've had people that don't have the option to do that. And so it kind of depends like on your situation. But I do recommend in Washington, like all of my patients have light light therapy boxes that they use in the winter time, but they, you know, we have the opposite problem here in the, in the summer. Cause it's light out until like 10 o'clock at night. And then it gets yeah. light, light out at four. And, I worked in Anchorage, Alaska, for five years, and oh, they're like forever. And <laughs> people get like manic there in the summer. Yeah, you know, it's like you're in Vegas all summer. You have no idea what time it is. It's very. Yeah, my husband
0: lived there for one summer, and he before we were married, and he would call me at ten o'clock at night and be like, "Oh no, the sun's legitimately still out. Yeah, <laughs> no, very like, bright. <laughs> it's crazy.
1: Yeah, so." You've got to have, re- you you have to have a regimented schedule and you have to know like, okay, if I'm a person, let's say I work the culturally normal day nine to five, I just kind of know what time I need to get up. Okay, let's say I need to get up at seven um, to make it to work by nine. I mean, most people, it's earlier than that, because they have got kids and stuff. But let's say it's seven o'clock, then you know that you need to be going to bed at the latest, probably around 11. And that means that you need to do your wind down between 10 to 11. And you need to start structuring everything around that. And then you need to think about when you are on the weekend, if you're going to fly to a Western time zone by staying out later and sleeping in, and then you're going to get yourself some more circadian misalignment, and then delivering light during the day and getting darkness and getting, I like using amber colored light bulbs and things like that to facilitate the natural light dark cycle just kind of getting in alignment with it is the light bulb like just in your lights in your house or is that the light box different things so they're different okay yeah so like most of us have
0: so yeah what would you suggest for people like if they're like I think I might have this issue and I know there's even seasonal defective disorder where people come depressed in the winter and that probably is linked to the light too so you're saying amber light bulbs light box what would you suggest for those are there certain brands or places they can get them or
1: yeah I'll tell you what my favorites are yes (laughs) so for the light boxes, we want 10,000 Lux. Um, There are a couple companies that make really good ones. If you want a really fancy one, there's a company called Northern Lights. They're like the OG makers of these, but they're expensive. They're like $180. You can get um, a pretty good one. Um, Miroco is a company that makes one, makes them uh, Carex and then Verilux. And you can get a pretty good one for around like $50. The bigger, the better. Like if it's just a little tiny thing, you will need more surface area. You need the light to kind of emanate. There are really good studies that show one hour a day for seasonal affective disorder improves mood. So I like to get that. If you're a night owl, you want to really blast yourself in the morning to try to push your your owl tendency earlier. Okay. That makes sense. I live in Arizona. We get really good sun
0: all year, but what, what I've noticed here and for me lately is because I do work inside, I do have little kids. It's really hot in the summertime. So I don't spend as much time outside. So that's why I'm like, maybe I should get a light box for the summer, which is the opposite of most people. But because I don't go outside a ton in the summer, because it is like 120 degrees. And so I'm like, oh, this might help because I do feel like sometimes that can be a struggle.
1: Yeah, you do. You need it. And then at nighttime, I have these amber colored bulbs. There's a company called Huga Health. They make little reading lights. If you want a portable one, they make just light bulbs. So I permanently have these orange bulbs in my bedside table, and I actually love them oh. because they kind of seem like a little bit a fire, like they're kind of like warm and cozy, and so yeah, I could see that, yeah, that actually makes sense about because that would
0: almost be like a calming a calming light,
1: yeah, yeah, and these like these glasses that have blue light filters in them, like honestly. If you put the glasses on and you can still see the color blue, they're not filtering all the blue light. Do you know what I mean? Oh, that's good to
0: know. I just ordered some and I put them on and I was like, I don't know what's happening. Are these working?
1: (laughs) They need to be dark. They need to be like orange or red. Oh, then mine definitely
0: aren't working. They're like clear. I just look like I'm wearing glasses.
1: (laughs) They're probably better than nothing. But if you really want, like if you're, like if you're working on a computer at night, you really want to get like the dark ones. And like the other thing is, it's one thing if you're working, it's another thing. If you're doom scrolling Facebook or Instagram, you're just getting dopamine, you know, dopamine, dopamine, dopamine. And like, it's not just the light, it's the dopamine too. So people think, oh, I'm using night shift. And it's like, they've studied it. And it doesn't really make a difference because it's you're getting you know, all the dopamine surges from social media. Oh, so it's not even just what
0: it's not even just that you're doing. It's what you're
1: doing. Like work doesn't give you dopamine
0: (laughs) where it's a little different than when you're just, Oh, that is fascinating. So even that, I mean, we say don't get on social media at night because of blue light. It's not even just that it's the dopamine shots that are keeping you. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I know we a little bit touched on insomnia and now that we've kind of, you know, talked about a sleep apnea a little bit for sleep apnea i know for insomnia you said there's different types and you know some of these things could help us like that we've talked about but what about sleep apnea when do people know i know you mentioned snoring so i'm i'm going to open up here my husband i think he needs a sleep apnea i think he has sleep apnea and i've told him to go see a doctor because he snores and i think he needs a cpap machine And I'm wondering, are there any other signs besides
1: just snoring? Do people ever snore and it's totally healthy, or is that always a bad sign? It's usually a bad sign. It's not 100% because snoring can come from the nose or it can come from the throat. And sometimes um, if people have really bad allergies, we have these sausage-like tissues in our nose called turbinates. They humidify the air when we breathe in and filter, and um, sometimes they become very inflamed. And sometimes just taking those down or straightening the septum, which is the divider of the nose, can really improve snoring that's kind of independent of sleep apnea, but oh, okay. But they're often connected. You know, it's like the Venn diagram where it's like most of the time, but not always a sign mm-hmm. of sleep apnea. Okay. That's good to know. Are
0: there any other signs of sleep apnea? Just that you just wake up and you snore a little bit. So it would be worth if you experience those things and don't feel restful, it would be worth seeing a doctor.
1: Yeah. Like another really common one is having to f- frequently use the bathroom at night. So we call that nocturia. That's very common. We really shouldn't produce a lot of urine at night. So if you have to urinate a lot in the night, it can be a sign of sleep apnea. Sometimes people wake up with their heart racing. They may might dream about being chased or suffocated. Like I said, I think I said before, headaches in the morning. Yeah. So I mean, insomnia is a common, a common symptom, especially in women of sleep apnea as well. So my, my brother-in-law used to wake up twice a week with a dream he was being
0: choked. Uh And my, my sister's like, oh my gosh, stop it. I mean, for years and years, and this is kind of a funny story. And I'm curious your thoughts on it. He like forever, he'd always done it. And to the point where she would just ignore him and he would wake up full out choking. And then, um, they ended up, they moved into a bigger home and they got a bigger room and he ended up getting his own bed in the same room. So they each have their own bed, (laughs) but he stopped doing it. He stopped doing it when he was sleeping by himself. (laughs) Really, that's interesting. And he doesn't do it anymore. And she's like, I don't know what it is. I don't know if having a body next to him was making him feel claustrophobic or
1: what. But hmm, that's interesting. Does he snore? I'm gonna have to ask her. Okay. That again. Yeah. He, I'm gonna find out. If he snores, he should be tested. <laughs> I'm gonna find out
0: because that is interesting. I'm actually I am gonna have my husband tested for sleep apnea because he does wake up a lot in the night. And he sometimes will get up and wander and he snores and he falls asleep really easily, but he instantly starts snoring. And he's like, as you're talking, I'm like, he, he's got to have it because he doesn't often feel well rested. He feels run down a lot, even though he's sleeping a decent amount. What do you do to get tested for it? I guess I should ask that. Do you go to an ear, nose and throat doctor or how do what do you do?
1: Ear, nose and throat doctors usually don't do diagnostic testing, but they can offer treatment, but but you want to see a sleep medicine doctor and perform. Probably. So we could Google that in your area, wherever anyone lives, right? Yeah. If you go to sleepcenters.org, you'll get a list of all the accredited oh. sleep centers in the country by a zip code. Oh, I will put that in the show notes then, yeah. sleepcenters.org. That's great. And there's a there are great sleep centers in Arizona. I know Valley Sleep Center is, I can't remember if that's in Tucson or not, but Um, I think they have multiple locations They They have a strong presence on, on Instagram. So I've, and I've talked to one of their owners, Lori's a bunch, she's a respiratory therapist, but you know, he, he'll just do like a home sleep apnea test where, um, he'll wear a device at home that will measure breathing, oxygen, heart rate movement. And it'll tell you like pretty accurately whether he has it or, you know, or not. Sometimes we need to test in the sleep lab depending on the scenario but he sounds like probably a good candidate for a home test. I think you know with men sometimes who are resistant, I think cuz you know the person might actually feel like I don't have a problem, you know, like wh- why am I going to see a doctor? This is your problem, not my problem. But It's really appealing to like the health consequences, right? Yeah, you're aging faster for men. This is going to affect your testosterone levels. It leads to erectile dysfunction because it's causing microvascular disease. You know, you're gonna um, have a higher risk of having a heart arrhythmia or a heart attack. Is that for in females too? The heart arrhythmia and heart attack as well. It is, but you know, we don't tend to have as high of a risk of sleep apnea until we go through until we go through menopause, but. But yeah, okay. it is true for women too. I mean, women can have really severe sleep apnea too. But we are a little protected by our hormones, so even though we have more insomnia, we are have a they're little a lot- double-edged sword. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the truth?
0: <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, it is what it is. That's good to know, though, to think about for you or a spouse or a partner or you know a sibling or whatever a parent, if they're often feeling snoring, feeling unrested going to bathroom in the night, you know, like you said, the dreams or any of that, that maybe they do need to look up someone because you're right. I don't even think necessarily always about the long-term effects, not just like, oh, you're tired the next day, but like all the other layers as you explained that it affects.
1: Yeah. And actually like bedwetting in kids, like after they've been dry, like that's a very common symptom of sleep apnea in kids. Oh, how common is it in children to have sleep apnea? I always just think of adults. Yeah. Yeah. It's not as common, but I mean, but it happens. It does, yeah. especially kids who have allergies, like in kids, kids are not going to manifest as like daytime sleepiness. They're more going to manifest as like behavioral issues, like more like ADD type of stuff. Oh, yeah. So if they, so yeah. So what are some signs for kids? Because we talked about some for adults, but
0: things that maybe you said, you know, might show a kid might have sleep apnea, which I'd never thought of.
1: Yeah. So for kids, like oftentimes they don't even snore, but they might have just what we would might call audible breathing. Um, And then also behavioral issues. Like um, a lot of times the teacher might bring things up that makes the patient, makes the parent think that they have ADD. Um, Okay. And the
0: bedwetting, and you said it's common with allergies. Yeah.
1: Bedwetting, allergies. I think if also very early, your dentist is telling you your child's going to need orthodontics and things like that. You might want to start thinking if the child's not is a is a mouth breather, um, they don't breathe well through their nose. Those are things that could contribute to you know possible having sleep disorder breathing.
0: And that's really good to know because if a child you know if you've got a ten year old and they're not sleeping well or five six whatever they're not going to learn well in school. And then you're going to think oh like you said it's a behavioral issue, they're struggling in school. But really it might just be that they need, you know, some help because they have sleep apnea.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, that is one of the reasons we sleep is to con- is to learn. It helps our brain learn. And so we, it's, yeah, absolutely.
0: That makes me want to like pay attention to what my kids' sleep habits besides just the normal ones. Yes. Yeah. So what are the, any other tips? Like, I love the information you gave us today. Any other tips you would feel like the general population, if we did this, you know, A, B, and C better, or if we did this one or two things better, we would all do better with sleeping? Anything that you feel like, oh, I just wish people understood this.
1: I don't know if you've ever heard of this thing called big rock theory. It's um, kind of like this story that people tell where, you know, a professor has an empty jar and he has these big rocks and he puts them in the jar and he asks the students like, is the jar cool? Oh, yes. Yeah. And Then the students say, yes, yes. But then he brings out, you know, some medium sized rocks and fills in all the gaps. And he says, is it full? And they say, yes, yes, it's full now. And then he comes out and he puts sand in it and he fills it all in. And the analogy I like to make with sleep is that sleep is really a big rock. It might be the biggest rock of all. And you've got to put it in your jar first. The jar symbolizing the finite time we have in our day. Because when you put that big rock in, it makes you so much more productive, it makes you so much more efficient, it makes you so much calmer, it makes you all the things that you can be. When you do that, then all the other rocks fit around it. But if you put the small things in first, like if you put
0: the sand in first, the big rocks not fitting,
1: (laughs) the big rock doesn't fit. And so I think committing and prioritizing that this is something that's important. And and it's it's you know it's also programmed into you. It's it's not meant to be hard. Like we make it harder. We make it hard for ourselves in a way too. That's true. Yeah, it's true. I love that. And yeah. if you think about it, like you
0: said, it doesn't really matter what your goal is: weight loss, financial, improve your marriage, improve a relationship. All those things if you sleep better, like we've said, it it makes you more moody. You're better able to work during the day. You're not hindered in weight loss. And we really, no matter what your goal is, if a sleep is a key piece, you're going to have better success.
1: Absolutely. I totally agree with that. I mean, I don't know why we, sometimes we hear it and we know it, but it's just kind of Getting the motivation to be like, all right, I'm going to do it. Yeah. I think we put it on the back burner because it is so
0: normal and rudimentary. But oftentimes, the things that are, you know, basic, primary, like be nice, wash your hands, are the things that matter most. Get your sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are the things that like really matter that we forget about because we try to look for these complex ways of, you know, fixing our problems. And oftentimes, it is the very basic, simple things that we need to fix first. Exactly. Absolutely. Meredith, where can we find you? Like in social media, what's your website? Do you have any courses on sleeping? Or I guess you did say you do telehealth. So where can we find you?
1: My Instagram handle is at sleepdoctormare, spelled out the word doctor. And my website is soundsleepguru.com. And um, there are a lot of resources on my website, one that I might point out that you might be interested in taking is under the resources tab on my website. There's a questionnaire called the MEQ, the Morningness, Eveningness Questionnaire. And it's a validated questionnaire that can help you figure out when your chronotype is, so that you can see when your ideal bedtime and wake time might be. And it's pretty helpful. I like. Oh, I love that. I'm totally
0: doing that. I will even link that in the show notes too, because that's pretty awesome. Since we talked about that.
1: Yeah, I don't have any courses. I really like working with people one on one. I like being very personalized, and I I just. Which is smart because problems
0: are individualized. I get that. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Wow. Wasn't she amazing? I hope you learned so much because I know that I did. For any of the things that she talked about, I did add them in show notes so you can see the lamps she's talking about and the lights and then also how to check your own chronotype and also a link for her social media and website. I hope this episode was helpful. And if it was, please share it on your social media. It makes a difference. We want more people to sleep. We want more people to learn. And it also helps the podcast grow. I also really appreciate and it helps the podcast if you would subscribe and also write a review. You can subscribe at the top right corner of wherever you listen and it will upload the current episode every single Wednesday to your phone. And as always, the reviews, I love hearing from you. They lift me up. They help me want to keep doing this and it just helps the podcast. I love you. And as always, I know, and I want you to know that you are doing better than you think you are. Until next time, we'll chat next week.